Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Kevin Hancock about dispersing power in organizations and strengthening the voices of others through creating a work culture where everyone leads and every voice is trusted, respected, and heard. Kevin Hancock, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. John, thank you. I'm quite happy to be with you today. Yeah, I'm really thrilled to have a chance to talk with you. Um, as we were discussing before we hit record and kind of the pre-discussion, we do have a lot of areas of overlap in our areas of expertise and interest and the work that we do. Uh, so I think it'll be a really robust discussion today as we talk around issues about social justice, as they relate to organizations and working with their employees. Uh, to begin, I want to share with the listeners a brief bio about Kevin. Kevin Hancock is CEO of one of the oldest companies in America, Hancock Lumber, which was established in Maine in 1848. Today, the company grows trees, manufactures lumber for global distribution, and provides building materials and construction services for contractors. The company has 550 employees and is a six-time recipient of the Best Places to Work in Maine Award, which I just want to interject is really cool. I think it's, an, it's great anytime an organization um, focuses enough on its employees to be able to earn those types of recognitions. Kevin is a recipient of the Ed Muskie Access to Justice Award, the Habitat for Humanity Spirit of Humanity Award, and the Boy Scouts of America Distinguished Citizen Award. In 2010, at the peak of the national housing and mortgage market collapse, Kevin acquired a rare neurological voice disorder called spasmodic dysphonia. I'm not sure if I said that quite correctly. Um, when his own voice became weakened, he developed a new leadership style based on strengthen, strengthening the voice of others. He is now a champion of a work culture where everyone leads and every voice is trusted, respected, and heard. He is a frequent visitor to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. His first book, Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse, won three national book awards. His next book, The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership, is scheduled for release. Um, actually, it looks like it was released just a few months ago. Um, again, Kevin, what a great background, uh, and I'm really excited to talk with you today. Well, thank you, Sam. As I said, I'm really happy to be here, and I love the idea of talking about social uh, justice within the context of a corporation and within the context of an employee experience. So I think... Um, 
subject of interest to you is really important. Awesome, awesome. Um, and before we really dive in, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners about yourself, your background? No, not not really, other than, uh, as you mentioned, it was really a voice condition that I acquired that got me uh, leading differently because I, I um, couldn't use my voice at first, but then... Um, as time went on, I didn't want to. I really got thinking differently about how a leader might lead. And I got really excited about the idea of dispersing power and leaders really being about strengthening the voices of others, not themselves. So what started as a, a bit of an unexpected hindrance or a setback with my voice condition became uh, really an invitation to that I use to think very differently about leadership and the importance of helping every human being feel heard and how powerful that simple act can be. I love that. I, I think that's amazing. And, and, you know, I, I wouldn't wish um, medical conditions on anybody, but I think it's a great example of how, you know, sometimes to use the old cliche, you, you, uh, you take those lemons and you make a, a glass of lemonade out of it and, and uh, really leverage that, that really difficult life experience to transform the way you approach your leadership and how you interact with those around you. Uh, that says a lot about you, that you're, that you're willing to respond that way and you're able to respond that way. Uh, and that you do it in such a way that really empowers the people around you. Um, I like the way you said dispersing power to strengthen the voice of others. Um, I'm a, a strong believer in, in shared governance and in, uh, in letting go of power as a leader um, through more delegation and providing more autonomy to your people. And that's, that's something that a lot of leaders really, really struggle with. Um, but I think is pretty key if you want to have a really successful, innovative type of organization uh, that's going to be sustainable in the long run. Uh, and you know, speaking of sustainability, your company is is clearly clearly that um, one of the oldest companies in the country, um, best place to work, uh, repeatedly. Um, I, I think all of those are great testament to. Um, not just your leadership, but those who, who have preceded you as well. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I, at the core of our business, um, we're very much connected to nature. So the first thing we do is that we grow trees. And of course, to even say it that way is a misnomer because all you need to do to grow trees if you're a human uh, is nothing. You just need to be willing to do it for a very long period of time. It's about leaving land undeveloped and letting trees grow on their own. But when it comes to leadership, I've thought quite a bit about uh, trying to align the future of leadership with nature's fundamental rules. 
And one of those rules that I thought quite a bit about is that when you think about it, nature itself disperses power. I was actually out in the Arizona desert um, one evening a couple of years ago for a walk when this hit me. Uh, in the idea was simple. In nature, power is dispersed. And I stopped, John, it was sunset, and I looked around, and I posed a series of organizational questions to the desert out loud all by myself. I said, uh, where's the capital of this desert? Where's its headquarters? Where's the CEO? Where are the managers and the supervisors? Which one of these cactus is in charge of all the others. And the answer in every case was just crystal clear. In nature, power is dispersed. That secret sauce, that sacred energy of the universe actually lives in all its parts and pieces. And humans who are a part of nature, not separate from it, I believe, ultimately want to organize in this way. And in the 21st century, in the Aquarian age, I think this is where you see the disconnect. So people are awakening to their own sacred power as individuals, but institutions are still often locked in this past-based approach to leadership, which is about collecting power to the center, having a few speak for the many, and taking a bureaucratic approach to getting things done. And while that model might have been the dominant model for centuries looking backward, I do not believe it's going to be the dominant model going forward. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. I think organizations today need to be much more agile. They need to be um, responsive and flexible. And that simply doesn't happen in a heavily top-down um, bureaucratic organization with many, many levels. Uh, you, you flatter organizations is the trend. Um, and that, that necessarily means dispersion of of responsibility and increased voice for everyone because now instead of having to go through five rungs of the hierarchy to you know go from the the lowest uh, entry level employee all the way up to the top now there's maybe one or two rungs and and everyone is 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 sharing in responsibility to have those discussions about product development the services offered um, you know new efficiencies products uh, and service um, revisions and and new iterations, you know, to be responsive to customers, and that's that's what the the global marketplace requires for organizations to be successful today. Um, you know, the big behemoth organizations, they're not going to be going away anytime soon. Of course, um, that's not what we're suggesting, but uh, but most people don't work at those organizations. You know, eighty plus percent of individuals work at small businesses, um, and. And so the vast majority of us are going to be um, trying to leverage um, employee voice in a way that will help lift everyone as, as we move uh, through our careers and as we try to develop uh, our people and, and uh, strengthen our organizations. That's so true. And I think even if uh, you look at 
big or organization, say large public companies or governments for that matter, that that what they too really need to figure out how to do is how to act and operate like a small community organization, how to um, decentralize power and act locally. And really when you look at um, data today, like on the employee experience, it's the, the writings on the wall, um, I, you know, Gallup will, will show us that perhaps one in three Americans today finds their work experience meaningful or considers themselves to be engaged. And what an unfortunate reality that is that for two thirds of all people who work in this country, it's simply an economic exercise. I go, I perform functions, I get money and benefits, but that's it. Beyond that, it's empty. And I just think uh, too many people on this planet work and spend lots of hours and years and decades and doing it and that work needs to be meaningful in more than just economic ways for, for the people who do it. And the pathway to that, I believe, is creating structure that gives everybody a voice. So if work becomes a place where, where everyone can kind of self-actualize can test their skills, can can come to know their own identity, and can feel safe doing so, then work starts to become a really important social tool, not just an economic tool. I've really, to take that one step further, come to think very differently about the mission or purpose of work. I think that the economic results are an important outcome, outcome of a higher calling. And I think that higher calling is that work should be meaningful to the people who do it. I completely agree. I think um, there, there's lots of ways to design meaningful work. Um, you can increase autonomy. You can um, give people a challenge, allow them to develop, develop new skills. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of different things that go into uh, meaningful work and providing purpose and helping people, you know, really get excited about getting up in the morning. I think that actually connects really well with the other thing I, I wanted to explore with you today. And that is the social justice aspects of the work that you do. Um, I do a lot of that related work as well. Um, a lot of times we think that business is over here and social justice issues, social impact, um, environmental issues, uh, those are all over here. And that these are discrete things, they're separate. And, and more and more organizations are starting to blur those lines and they're starting to see that employees want to be engaged in work that makes a meaningful impact in the world. Uh, they want to see that their work makes a difference and betters the lives of those around them. Uh, and so I think it's a really great opportunity for organizations 
uh, for multiple reasons, for, for the, to strengthen the bottom line, for better PR, for you know, all of those kind of business case reasons. It's, it's good for organizations to get involved in, in social impact, social justice work, but there's also the human component uh, that it's just the right thing to do. It's the right thing to use our power to benefit those who are um, disadvantaged and for those who may be butting their heads up against glass ceilings or against brick walls as they're trying to just get a fair shake in life um, and fight against you know systems that are built against them. Uh, and so let's let's talk more about that. How how have you um, integrated some of these social causes, social justice, um, and environmental types of issues into your organization and diffused it throughout your people? Yeah, great subject and question. Let me start quickly by talking about how I really uh, became connected to social justice in a personal way. I began traveling about eight years ago from my home in Maine out to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in the southwest corner of South Dakota. Uh, Pine Ridge is the largest, most historic, uh, traditionally most disenfranchised, and today the poorest of all the Sioux reservations on the northern Plains, and this is a community that was um, essentially overrun in the second half of the 19th century during America's manifest destiny uh, from sea to shining sea. And what really struck me when I was there, based on my own experiences, is there I met an entire community that uh, felt like it didn't have a voice, an entire community that didn't feel fully heard. And uh, combining that with my own voice condition, I really got thinking about the fact that there are lots of ways for people to lose a piece of their voice in this world. And that at the heart of social justice really is the uh, reality that somewhere along the way, those who had the most power uh, overreached, they abused it, they took advantage of it, and in the process made certain uh, communities or groups feel as if their voice was left less important. So for me, on the simplest level, social justice is about restoring everybody's rightful, sacred, beautiful voice. And I think about it this way in terms of a, a very simple question, and it's this. What if everybody on Earth felt trusted, respected, valued, and heard? What might change? And I actually think everything <laughs> might change. So for me, social justice starts with trying to create that type of culture and environment right around you, which for me first is in the place of uh, work. 
uh, workers are often groups that have not felt heard or empowered or valued or trusted or fully respected. And I just think that um, social justice is a, is a, a bit of a, a wave where you've got to you've got to live values that promote respect and trust in others regardless of their background or place of origin and hope that that um it's something that spreads and and grows and manifests and it would be easy you know we're up here uh in maine and maine's a very rural state it's traditionally a very uh white state and it might be easy here to say well you know we're not really in the middle of a quest for social justice but i think that um in this day and age everybody's got to figure out how to get in the middle of a quest to advance social justice and so i've really tried to do it through my my time at pine ridge and advocating for indigenous communities and then to try to create a culture within our company that shows great respect for all voices yeah, I, I love the way you frame that because we can get into the specifics of any given issue or topic. I mean, right now we have lots of uh, discussions around the country about race and systemic racism. We have, uh, we just finished Pride Month, so we have discussions around LGBTQ plus uh, advocacy and, and rights. Uh, we have environmental issues. We have, I mean, there's so many different things. And within each of these different pockets, there's complexities and it, it, you know, can be a challenge to talk through those issues. Right. But what you said is really at the crux of all of it. It's, you, it's not, and it's not rocket science. You basically just need to treat people with dignity and respect, help everyone feel valued, help everyone feel heard. When you do that, most of these other perplexing problems and challenges start to take care of themselves because we're respecting each other. We're valuing each other. We're giving everyone an equal um, seat at the table where where they get a chance to contribute and and they see that that contribution is valued uh, and will actually be considered. Uh, if we can create that kind of an environment within organizations or in society at large, then a lot of these other more complex things, the complexities don't go away, but but we're now in a space where we can start to really tackle them, where we can start to really make a, a move, positive movement towards improvement and, and change. Um, but until we can get diverse voices around a table where we can respect each other enough to listen, uh, none of that other stuff can happen. Yeah, that's so true. I had two thoughts as I was listening to that. I The, the first is that um, I do think it's super important for everyone to really understand um, the systemic underpinnings of a lot of these issues. So uh, uh, why is Pine Ridge 
the poorest place in America. Is that random? It's not random. Is that them? It is not them. When you go back and look at the history of how they were conquered and how they were oppressed and the genocide that occurred, uh, this is not a coincidence. It's just not a coincidence. It's so easy to want to say, well, uh, in a community like that, it must be something that they're doing wrong. And while we all need to learn to look within to find our strength and path, as a society, we've got to recognize that our systems absolutely have favored certain groups and disfavored others. And to not see that and acknowledge it is um, not okay anymore. So I think that's one of the big things that's changing and changing for the better. Second point I wanted to mention, I used to have a tough time describing what I did at Pine Ridge. I've been there over 20 times and I don't represent any government agency or nonprofit. It's got nothing to do with my core business. So people would say, what do you do there? And I finally just started telling the truth, which is I don't actually do very much. I just travel around the community and I sit and talk and visit with the people who live there. But what struck me over time, and I've written a lot about this in both my books, is that that in and of itself is powerful. So the way I've come to talk about it or think about it is that awareness and connectivity in and of itself are powerful acts. I see you. Let's just start with that. Like, I know you're here, and I know what happened. I know the story uh, of this reservation, and I think the people here um, – are beautiful and powerful and important and have lots to contribute. That just that uh, connectivity, listening, without judgment or without trying to change or remake or fix or solve, that in and of itself is reconciliatory, if you will, and it can create change. Absolutely. Uh taking a systems approach to looking at these challenges is essential. Um, and the first step in that is listening to the living experts who are, who are a recipient of the outcomes of that system, right? Um, too many times people get this idea that I'm going to go in, I'm going to fix everything for this, this uh, disadvantaged population, right? And, and they go in and, you know, they, they're educated, they have lots of great experience, and they say, I'm going to go and I'm going to just fix this. And they forget that they need to listen. They need to go and actually talk to people. The people on the ground who live in those communities, they're the ones that are living it and dealing with it every day. Uh, and whether it's socially, you know, at a, at a reservation or whether it's within an organization, you know, going and talking to and listening to um, your line workers, the people who are on the front lines, you know, interfacing with customers. Um, that's, that's absolutely essential because they, they're going to have the key insights that are going to be necessary uh, for you to make positive change. And far too often, leaders have a little bit too much hubris. They, they, they're 
arrogant about their their ability to perceive um, you know all the troubles that are happening with in their organization and they think they've seen it before they think they have the answers and they forget the simple truth that you need to go and listen you need to go and talk to people you need to observe and you need to learn as you go. You can't take anything for granted um, in this world that's messy and complex. Right. This is right at the heart of what my uh, recently released second book is, a, is about. The book's title is The Seventh Power. And that's a Sioux concept that comes from their most sacred symbol, the medicine wheel. The, the medicine wheel honors the powers of the west, north, east, south, sky, and earth, the six great external powers. But I had a gentleman show me one day when I was at Pine Ridge that at the center of the wheel, uh, those who know the old ways, he told me, know that a seventh power also exists and that seventh power is you it's me it's the individual human spirit which is of nature of the universe of the sacred spirit however you want to think about it and that every individual is a piece of the divine so the real task in social justice and in rethinking organizational excellence is about getting away from the bureaucracy, getting away from the monolith, getting away from the empire, and putting the focus back on the individual and helping individuals understand and tap into their own power. I, I think uh, we're about out of time. so. Maybe we leave it at that. Uh, I, I think you summarized it really well. Uh, let people uh, share their own power. Let, let them, let their voices be heard. And collectively, we can, uh, we can lead organizations in a people-centric way that will leverage the capacities of our people, help them feel empowered, help them um, be innovative, and help the organization to be successful. And more broadly in society, as we do the same thing, then we can get past this divisive rhetoric that's so prevalent right now. We, we can, um, you know, it, it's almost like collaboration is a dirty word um, in politics right now. People aren't willing to cross the aisle um, where they're seen as traitors. Uh, that makes for dysfunction. We, we, need, we need to get voices together. We need people to feel heard and we need to share power. So thank you so much uh, for the really great discussion today. Uh, before we close, I, I wanna give listeners a chance to know how they can get connected with you and learn more about what you do. Uh, would you mind just sharing that for just a moment? I would love to. I'd love to hear from anybody who listened to this discussion today and you can reach me through my website at uh, kevindhancock.com and I have a bunch of resources there including access to the books but also a contact link so that anyone who wanted to uh, 
connect with me would be able to do so. And I always uh, answer anybody that checks in. That's right at the heart of our discussion today. So I really appreciate this opportunity and thank you for uh, helping share a little bit of my voice, John. Well, thank you again. It's really been a pleasure talking with you, Kevin. Uh, the time has flown by. We haven't had enough time. And so perhaps we can do this again sometime soon uh, and continue the, the dialogue. Uh, I encourage Love my that. listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I, I encourage my listeners to, to uh, look you up and to get connected. Uh, Kevin's doing great things and can help your organizations do great things as well. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening today. And I hope everyone has a wonderful week and that you stay healthy and safe. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.